My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. Today in the Wonder Dome, I'm hanging out with Cheryl Ntumi. Cheryl is a Ghanaian writer who dabbles in everything from romance to speculative fiction. And she has written deeply and beautifully about the ways in which writing is a journey into true empathy and understanding of yourself and of others across cultures, across identities, across time and space. And we have a, a wonderfully rich conversation about the ways in which art is, and Cheryl's word, and she uses this, uses this a bit provocatively and playfully, is art is a kind of religion, that there's a devotional quality to creating something that is true, whether that's in an essay written in your voice or a novel or a story written in the voice of another. Uh, I highly recommend, particularly if you are an artist or an aspiring artist, to go to Cheryl's website, which we'll include in the show notes, to read some of her essays and her poetry, and also to find some of her short stories, or at least places, other places on the web or online where you can read or purchase those stories and her novels. So she's very prolific, very creative, and deeply committed to art as a vehicle for, for self-understanding and collective understanding. We have a, a rich and beautiful and playful conversation in that vein. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Cheryl has for us. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really, really lovely to have you here. Um, I had such a uh, a powerful conversation with Koklo and and I asked her, like, who else, if you were me, who else would you talk to? And she said, oh, well, you have to talk to Cheryl. So, <laughs> yeah, so here we are, and I'm glad to be here. As am I. Thank you so much. It's, it's a real honor to be here. Mm. I'm very excited. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I had the uh, the good fortune kind of in preparing for this conversation to read a bit of your short stories and your essays and even some poetry. And I don't know, I, I, a part of me wants to share a sort of a, a sense I have of you without having met you before and just see how how much that resonates with you or how much you feel like maybe there's more to say about who you are as an artist or, or as a creator. Would that be all right as a place to start? 
Yeah, sure. I'm curious to hear mm. what your impression is. Yeah. Mm. Mm. The like the impression I'm having is that you're you have done been on a journey of understanding and maybe renegotiating with yourself who you are and where you come from and how much of that history lives inside of you and moves through you versus how much you are like your own independent human being. And I find that really, I find that inquiry that I'm seeing you engaging in, in your essays and your poetry and to a certain extent, maybe in, even implicitly in your storytelling, I find that really provocative that there's this kind of, uh, seems to me that recently, and again, I don't quite know, sometimes you wrote, you write a thing that's, you wrote it 10 years ago, or you wrote it last week. That's not always clear to me, but it seems to me that recently you've been on this journey of kind of um, embracing a bit more your position in the world and some of the, the limitations of seeing and knowing that come from that, but also like from that place, a real willingness to respect and honor those who come before, those who are around us. And there's like a real humility and a real uh, beautiful commitment to noticing where we go wrong. We, you individually, mm -hmm. we as a, as a species and getting deeper to the heart of where we might, where we might quote unquote, get things right. So there's sort of a commitment to understanding that I see in you, a commitment to self-awareness, a commitment to kind of a deeper, truer story of our place in the world. How does that land with you? What's like, what's coming up wow. for you as I share some of those reflections? Um, wow, that's, <laughs> I, I think um, that's probably the most accurate that anyone has ever been <laughs> um, mm. in, in describing, um, yeah, and describing how I, I see things and, it's really amazing to me that you could get all of that um, from my work, you know, without us having spoken before. Um, that makes me <laughs> feel like maybe I'm being a bit too vulnerable in my work. And <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should be a bit more careful. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, it's, it's actually, that's it, great. It's, it's, um, I, I, gosh, I feel a little overwhelmed really. Um mm. First of all, thank you. Um, uh, thank you. That's that's very much appreciated. Um, mm. I think I really have been on a complex journey, um, and you know, I've my life has changed a lot in the last few years. You know, I've um, I grew up in Botswana. I've only just moved back to Ghana, which is my country of origin. And so I've had a lot of that um, sort of internal conflict, trying to figure out where I fit in, who I am. Um, and yes, I am very, very deeply interested in, I guess, the fundamental question of how of how perception can confuse things. You know how mm -hmm. how easy it is for us to be wrong. Um, as human beings in so many ways in so many different aspects of our lives and that's something that I tend to um, 
to want to explore a lot in stories and in, you know, in poetry. Because I just find it so fascinating, you know, how wrong we can be and how um, convinced we can be that we're right. <laughs> mm. You know, that mm. to me is, is, yeah, it's really quite alarming sometimes, you know, even just catching myself doing that, thinking, why am I so sure of this? There's no reason for me to be sure. You know, I don't have any anything that I can actually hold on to to say that I'm absolutely certain that this is the way things are. And yet um, my mind is convinced, my body is convinced, you know, we kind of go into this physical response as if it's absolute, but it's not, mm. you know, mm. and that's a really fascinating thing to me. Um, mm. Just how we figure things out and, and trying to understand how the human mind works and how that affects the way that we behave, the way that we interact with each other, the way we interact with our environment, um, the decisions that we make. So yeah, it's an ongoing journey. It's a very, interesting journey that I will probably be on for the rest of my life and um, yeah it's really it's interesting um, because that makes me curious about I don't know if I can ask this but um, I don't know if you've been on a similar journey because it strikes me as a very distinct specific thing to notice you know mm. Um, mm. yeah so I don't know, is that something that you're interested mm. in as well? Is that mm -hmm. something you've been looking into? Mm. Yeah, that's really perceptive. Yeah, there's a way in which reading some of your work, I felt, uh, I'm like, ah, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. This There's something in the power of uh, articulation. When someone says something that... Like here, I'll give you a really specific example. There's a paragraph in your, I think it's your essay, Empty Cup, where uh, you write, I understand now that people are not stupid or useless or in any way inferior simply because I lack the ability to comprehend them. To make a choice, any choice, is to begin one little universe at the expense of many others. I was like, wow, yes, to make a choice, any choice is to begin one little universe at the expense of many others. And it is necessary for others, for each of us to think and act as, as we do to keep alive all of these universes that I might kill with my own choices. All these little galaxies spinning around us with their strange and varied planets and their strange and varied people. And I just was like, wow, that to me said in a few sentences spoke to the deep, deep complexity and interconnectedness of each of our lives, but also the ways in which our sense of selfhood, of individuality threatens each of our lives. You know, there's this kind of mm -hmm. tension between deep interconnection and deep individuality. And I see like what I saw in your writing is a willingness to hold both rather than like maybe what you were speaking to a moment ago, our, our kind of desire to be right, our, in, our sense, not even our desire, just our deeply felt sense that, boy, this is how the world works, is mm -hmm. in a sense both true in our universe that we inhabit and also really necessary for our survival. That it is, a, it is like there's something adaptive 
about it until it becomes maladaptive, until it starts to lead us to actively pursue choices that are that are consciously or unconsciously designed to get rid of those other universes spinning around us because actually the the mm-hmm. the awareness that they might be there is so threatening that that we have to get rid of them right and something so there's mm-hmm. just like that paragraph to me yes it spoke to something in me and thank you for for mirroring that back yeah i mean i i think that's really um that's an, it's an incredibly powerful realization right like just to think that, I mean, even before we even get to looking at how society works or anything like that, just looking at our own internal processes mm-hmm. um, and how, you know, just becoming aware of the times in which we feel threatened as individuals, you know, when um, I guess you're confronted with something new or something different. Um, something you don't quite understand, can't quite figure it out. And it's like this visceral thing where you just, well, at least this is my experience, um, where I feel physically threatened, <laughs> you know? I feel, I have a moment of feeling as if I'm in actual danger, mm. you know, the way my mm. body responds. Mm. And then I have to sort of override that and go, wait a minute, that's not a rational way to respond to this. And then... Um, yeah, sit with it for a bit and interrogate it. And I find that so interesting that, that we operate that way. And I guess I think I think that part of what art does is it gives us the space to really interrogate these things and really explore these things in a way that um, we might not get to do otherwise, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's something about what which I sort of see you actively and consciously doing your writing, but we could really argue in a way is possible is sort of present in any piece of art, which is the kind of at least half a step backwards from like just the like moment to moment experience of being in live, which includes kind of feeling threatened or feeling joyful or tired or excited or hungry or, oh, there's someone I love I want to spend time with. And, oh, here's someone who kind of like I'm worried about and what's their story. And we're just kind of like we could we can most of us, we could if we chose to or didn't choose to just spend all of our time inside of that flow. And it would take us where it would take us. And it's kind of lives with some combination of like the intersection of our family history and our culture of origin and our genetic makeup and the experiences that we have. And this kind of process called a person just keeps happening and will continue to keep happening, whether or not everyone, anyone notices it, you know, does a tree fall in a forest and make a sound? It's like, yeah, that person is, is being a person. But then there's this moment where art like lets us just take half a step back and, and make meaning of all of those happenings and rearrange them mm-hmm. in ways that might not be biographically true or factually true, but nevertheless have this kind of, aha, that. And what right. do we make of that? And, and then actually like, what's going on when, 
over there when those people do those things to each other, where they hurt each other or or love each other mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, what is that? What's underneath that or behind that? And art art has this really unique capacity to help us see ourselves more fully and also maybe help us yeah. imagine ourselves into possibilities that otherwise wouldn't even be visible because we're just reacting to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing until we're in the grave. And then the next generation comes and they, you know, and sort of this kind of, there's an, a a sense of momentum and inevitability without art to existence that art seems to kind of be able to interrupt some of those patterns, or at least give us more perspective on those patterns. Yes. Yes. I I completely agree. Um, It's an extraordinary thing. It's a pretty extraordinary thing. I think, um, I feel very fortunate to be able to be part of that kind of expression in any, mm-hmm. you know, any way at mm-hmm. all. Is um, there is there a moment that you that you point to in your journey where you where you had some sense of a realization that this was part of how you want to spend your time and your life energy is as a writer? Like when did you sort of claim that as part of your life? Um, always, <laughs> um, I know that sounds a bit weird, but I can't remember ever not wanting to be a writer. I mm. think I knew pretty early on, um, that it was, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm the kind of person that, that tends to believe, you know, callings and things like that. And so, yeah, I always this was meant to do, um, yeah, was writing stories or coming up with stories or just, it was how it seems to me to be the most, um, I guess, productive way or the most honest way, which might seem like an odd thing to say about fiction, but it's like the most honest way to experience the world, to understand the world. Mm. Um, because I, you know, I would, experience stories I would consume stories and I always felt as if I learned so much from that you know mm-hmm. from watching this character go through something and going oh okay I, I get that I understand what that means I understand what that feels like you know to to be in that position even if this person is nothing like me you know we have nothing in common apart from both being human I really felt like that was a, an incredibly powerful thing and so yeah, it was always just something I felt driven to do. Um, even when it seemed like a really impractical choice, <laughs> I just, um, yeah, I felt very strongly that it was the right thing. It was the right path for me, at least. Mm, mm, beautiful. There's a few threads in there I might try and pull on. Like I'm hearing mm-hmm. something about like a disposition towards a sense of calling I'm hearing something about kind of a a sense of like, what's the most honest way to live, which paradoxically includes making up stories. And we can, I'd like, I'm really curious to unpack that because that feels like a really important paradox. And, and I'm also kind of hearing a, like that there are maybe some parts of you that, or, or maybe others around you who have this story about something being impractical and, uh, and nevertheless, even as there's awareness of this, this idea of impracticality, like there's a persistence, a commitment. So kind of this like calling 
honesty or authenticity and commitment are three threads I'm hearing in there. And I could pull on any one of them right now, but I wonder if you wanted to spend a little more time talking about any, any of one of those in this moment, is there one that you'd feel excited to spend some time on? Um, I mean, I guess I can talk about um, the commitment was that it was pretty easy for me to make that commitment, to be honest. Um, I think because it just felt right. Um, and I, I can be quite, I don't know, um, stubborn maybe <laughs> once, <laughs> you know, if I, if I feel like something <laughs> makes sense, well, I'm going to do it, you know, regardless of uh, whatever anyone else says. Um, yeah, I think it was, it really felt like a, an almost moral conviction. Um, and, you know, sometimes I like to say that, that stories are my religion um, in the sense that, yeah, it really feels like a moral obligation. It feels like something that would be wrong not to do. Mm. And so in mm. that sense, it was like, well, obviously I'm going to be, I'm going to pursue this um, no matter what. And also I just, I can't stop. <laughs> I can't stop writing stories. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think there's any way around it. Um, it's just, that's the way it works. Um, but yeah, I am very uh, devoted <laughs> to stories, um, mm. partly because they bring me so much joy, but also because I think what they do, the power that they have is so important. You know, it's been really important for me in my life. And I know that it can be beneficial to so many other people. Mm. Mm. And so, yeah, I feel like this is my contribution, I guess, to, to mankind. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I love the, this idea that a story is a kind of form of worship or prayer, that, that the mm. act of writing is not just the observable act of sitting at a desk in front of a keyboard or a, or a journal but that it is mm -hmm. this sort of like act of devotion that yeah. I, I mean, I kind of can't not do it. I'm hearing you say that I just keep, they just keep coming. So I'm going to like trust that, but also I'm going to, I'm doing it because I have some sense that this is, this is morally important, that this is a kind of way mm -hmm. for me to send some kind of prayer to something greater. I don't know. Has, is, that's mm -hmm. my, I'm putting it now a bit in my own language, but has, as I say that what's happening for you. No, I, I completely agree with that. I think that is very much how I see it. Um, you know, it's it's a it's been a weird thing to try to explain because I think you know we, we kind of have a very clear idea of what a religious experience is supposed to be, I guess. And so, you know, if I describe <laughs> stories or storytelling as something similar to that, it kind of feels um, like I might be being disrespectful, I think, to some people. Um, but that's not my intention at all. That's not, it, it's meant to be really the opposite. It's meant to be just honoring the fact that I guess we are all, we use the gifts we're given, you know what I mean? We use, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we, we're all given um, 
the drive to do certain things or the the ability to do certain things. And I think there's a reason for that. And to ignore that would be irresponsible. Um, yeah, it would be irresponsible and also um, unethical in some way <laughs> yeah. um, is my, mm. my perception of it. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, mm. I definitely see it as it's a, it's a spiritual thing for me. It really is a spiritual thing. Yeah, I really receive that. And and I wonder, yeah, there's something coming up for me here. Let me see if I can just kind of get it into words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like maybe I'll speak a bit about how I experience these, these questions of spirituality and religion and then see like if you can maybe see what dots connect for you. Because there's something in here about... Mm-hmm. It's kind of is analogous to like, well, what is writing? And you go, it's sitting at my computer and typing words and creating these pixels that appear on on the screen. And um, that's writing or it's like sitting in my journal and it's. And so there's the visible thing that I can see that we could see Cheryl doing. Um, And in the same way, like I've been to, although I grew up in a secular household and I have a bit of a, an allergy to organized religion that I've been sort of working with, I've had a sort of ambivalent relationship to, um, I have been to a fair Mm -hmm. number of kind of, um, here in Massachusetts where I live kind of, there's a certain flavor of Christianity and Catholicism, like, and I've been to a fair number of church services and and there's a sense I have sometimes that I'm seeing that kind of analogous, oh, like that's this is what spirituality is. This is when you kneel and this is when you stand. And this is when you take, you know, take the kind of wafer and this is when you sort of shake hands with your neighbor and there's something beautiful. There's something really potentially quite beautiful about the physical visible elements, but there's also something that can uh, come has come across to me as um, missing as devoid of, what's underneath all of those rituals what's happening inside that's not visible that might be deeply meaningful for one person and deeply dull to to another you know like there's something about you in particular saying my gifts are my gifts and when i sit down to do this very simple thing of putting pen to page or kind of fingers to, to keyboard that's not just what you see that there's something much deeper happening here and in the same way, Andy, mm-hmm. when you see me kind of kneeling at this altar, that might not be an altar that you want to n- kneel at, Andy, but I really, it's important to me that I have an altar to kneel at. And uh, mm-hmm. and so like I, like there's something underneath the, the physical that's happening. And I wonder if maybe you could speak to mm-hmm. your version of that or your sense of that spiritual work or religious work that's happening when you when you kneel at your particular altar of the pen and page um gosh that's a i really love that i really love the way you put that um you know that there's something um beautiful about it i think it's such a a personal thing um that it can be very i guess um yeah, it's not it's not something that's like a one size fits all, you know. So for me, it's a very 
emotional thing. I tend to be very uh, driven by emotion when I write. I tend to kind of go into a a certain headspace, you know, into the zone, as they say. Um, and I feel, and this is something that I, I thought was really interesting because Tutla said this too in, in your discussion um, about how you're almost, a, you're a vessel really as a writer, mm-hmm. you know, for the stories to come through you. And that's something that I completely relate to. I, I really feel like that's how it works. Um, it's not, like I'm doing something, you know, if I write something and people really like it, it's not necessarily that I have done something extraordinary. It's more like the story has decided to come through me and I've just acted as a medium in some way. Mm. Um, so that's what it's like. It's really like a, the experience of being struck by the muses, I guess, or by inspiration and um, being open enough to allow the process to happen however it needs to happen and getting it out the way it needs to get out and um, kind of getting out of the way as much as you can mm-hmm. um, which is not mm-hmm. always easy but yeah as much as uh, as the story requires and each story is different you know it has I kind of think of stories as like these sort of mercurial spirits in a way mm. that they have very specific needs <laughs> they have like a list of demands and each story is different. <laughs> and so you just kind of have to ride the wave like, oh, okay, I want me to go in this direction. It happens a lot that I'll, I think I have a plan of how a story is going to go. And then next thing I know, I'm somewhere completely different. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how this happened, but the story decided to go this way and I'm going to honor that. So yeah, it's really about um, being open mm. to, the, to the process and kind of giving yourself over to it and trusting that, um, yeah, that what comes is what needs to come. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> mm. How do you, uh, to the extent that you can put it into words, what is, mm-hmm. how do you practice that opening for yourself? What is it, what, per, to, to the extent you can be precise about this, what does it mean for you when you notice that you're getting in the way or that you're closed off or that you're too attached mm-hmm. to your plan, what, what does your practice of opening sort of look like or feel like? Um, well, it depends on the story. Some stories are easier to do that with where I can just, um, I can just sort of notice in the moment that, Oh, wait a minute, I'm becoming too uh, pedantic about this. And I just need to kind of, step back for a second and then come back to it when I'm a little bit um, less worked up, I guess. Um, Sometimes I need to step away for a long time. There are stories that I've had to walk away from for months or years at a time um, Mm, mm. just because I was not in the right headspace to be able to give the story what it needed. Mm. Um, But other times it can be really quite a simple thing where it's just... um, yeah, I can just notice that, okay, no, I need to shift tech and I can do that almost instantly. It really depends on the, the story. I think the more complex the story is, um, the harder it is, but also it has a lot to do with where I am emotionally. I sometimes feel like there are stories you you want to tell, but you're not actually ready to tell them yet. You know, mm. and you kind of have to wait until you're ready 
um, to say what needs to be said. Mm. So usually when I, if I'm struggling a lot with a story, I feel like, okay, yeah, there's something I haven't worked through or I haven't experienced that I, I need in order to be able to complete this. And until mm. that has happened, I won't be able to, mm. to get there. So. Mm. Yeah, that really strikes me as yeah. like a, a beautiful act of faith and devotion to say, okay, there's a struggle here. There's a story here, but it's I'm not ready for it yet. And mm. at some point, if I stay open, something will happen either out in the world or in my own interiority that allows me to sit back down with that story and, and let it come through fully. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Does that resonate? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, that's how I experience it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how, <laughs> if that's something that's just in my head, but that's definitely been my experience. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to ask you something, though. Is okay. that okay? <laughs> yeah, sure, um, sure. I like this. I like. I'm, I'm, I'm here to play. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm just wondering how, because this is a question that comes up for me sometimes, um, as a reader, um, mm. as well as a writer. Um, do you have this kind of experience where, or have you ever had this experience where you're reading something or writing something or developing you know any kind of um creative project and you get to a point where you feel like there's a block uh what do you do in those moments how do you respond to those moments Hmm. Hmm. i mean these days i have uh as a reader i um i have three kids i have a full-time job I have this podcast so so like there's a certain uh quality in which like also in the same way that you're letting a story come through readers have to choose to let a story come in and uh and that's a bit of a dance there's a bit of a dance there so if i'm reading something i I'll, if i notice that i'm kind of repeatedly getting blocked then i think there's an analogous version of like maybe this just isn't my story or maybe i'm not ready for this story right now and I'm not going to force it too much. Like I used to sort of feel a real strong sense. I think that a lot of folks who like books, there's, I'll, I'll speak for myself. There's a, there is a part of me that always loved the satisfaction of finishing a book. And even if I really didn't like the book very much, I'm, I'm going to get through it. And that was a lot easier to do when I was like, you know, a teenager or, or a college student or mm-hmm. what have you, when, had lots of hours in the day that I could sort of choose to to use or not use how I wanted to. But, but these days I just like, I just can't, I just don't, I'm like, I have to be really allow myself to be more discerning and that's a loss sometimes. And so on that, like for me as a writer, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, I've, I've written and self-published one novel and I spent years on it mm-hmm. and I'm quite proud of it. Like I, I think I, I'm, I really showed up for that piece of work as best as I could with everything I had at the time. And, yeah. uh, and I'm, and I think that's like, there's something about like, okay, I'm going to sit today. I'm, that's the commitment. That's the commitment piece. I'm going to sit today and yeah. let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and there were some days, some very few days where it really freaking happened, where I remember I, I 
it had a like a I know how the book ends. And I like, I don't remember where I was, but I remember going right to my computer and like just writing that as fast as I could. And, you know, I then went over, I had still a lot to write in the book, but I had the ending and, mm. uh, and, and I could feel it. I was like, I was so excited. I could, as I was writing, I was like at a somatic experience in my body, like this is the ending of the book. Yeah. And it didn't change that much. And so like, of course, a few nuances changed, but I had it. Uh, and I had no idea that was how the book was going to end when I started. So I think like sort of like the, the lesson, as much as we can apply lessons to life is like, okay, if I don't know what to write on this part, well, just write something (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and maybe it'll make it in the book or maybe it won't. But it, I, if I, if I hadn't just been willing to write something or at least sit, Mm -hmm. even if nothing came out, if I hadn't been willing to say this book hey story i'm committed to you mm. hey book i'm committed to you i'm going to sit then mm. then i don't think i i don't think that whatever part of me or wh- whatever's going on you know the language we're using of being a channel or a vessel whatever that receptivity of was needed just wouldn't have been there and then the ending would have been like up here i'm lifting my arm over my shoulder going here's how it ends and i would have been able to hear it because I, I hadn't like that receptivity to it. So yeah. Um, yeah, when I come up against a block, I think the to answer your question directly, it's a bit of a like self-compassion, a bit of a like, is this where I need to be right now? And if mm-hmm. it is, I'm just going to sit here and be with it, even though it sucks, even though it's annoying. And if it's not, then I'm going to be okay and say, I'm not, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to put the book down. I'm going to go work on another scene. I'm going to open up another project. I'm going to go for a walk. So that the next time I sit down, I'll see if the, if the block's still there and, yeah. you know, and rinse and repeat as much as necessary. <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's, that's what yeah. comes up for me. How's that? What is that? What does that spark for you? No, I, I feel um, yeah, that really resonates with me because I think um, it is a commitment, you know, it's a commitment. And like you said, as a reader too, it's, and I think it's interesting. I don't think a lot of people, or at least not people that I've spoken to, um, see it that way. You know, they see it that way if you're on the other side, if you're creating something, but not if you're consuming something. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think it's a commitment either way, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a commitment of time. It's a commitment of attention and energy, and yeah, receptivity. Like I really love that you said that um, because I think that's such an important element, you know. Because um, it's all very well to just kind of sit and just go through something, and you know, you're not actually reading it, you're not actually engaging with it, but it's just it's an exercise, you know. Yeah. Um, versus really absorbing the material really allowing it to yeah to come in and to you know raise whatever questions it's going to raise um whatever feelings it's going to raise um yeah so it's it's absolutely a commitment yeah i agree with that completely i I have been thinking lately about why is it that certain books really stay with me or certain yeah i'll stay Mm. with books and and one thing I've noticed just like across the like very wide diversity of kinds of books that have stuck with me 
is uh, they're kind of what I might describe as their psychoactive effect. You know, that like by mm -hmm. reading them, I my consciousness is actually changing in some way, even if not permanently. It's like undergoing, mm -hmm. a, it's al an altered state. And the kind of stronger the psycho psychoactive effect of the book, the, the more it like, and stays inside of me in a way that's really meaningful. And I think mm -hmm. the like the possibility of that is is also true in the writing. Like what you're describing when you when you mm -hmm. arrive and you sit and the emotions coming and you step aside and let that emotion fully inhabit you is a kind of altered state. And um mm -hmm. That feels really important. That feels like a really kind of fundamental, like part of the commitment is a willingness to be altered. And that to me yeah. seems like the the like real beautiful power of writing. Like if we get into like, why do we need writing? The sort of moral conviction you have is that uh, it, it, has, it has this unique psychoactive effect, this unique ability to allow us, if we allow it, to be altered and to grow mm -hmm. to deepen to widen to expand and the kind of cool thing is is i don't really i mean i could be wrong but i don't feel a sense of loss whenever i feel that alteration i only feel a sense of like deepen mm -hmm. deepening and expanding uh yes. and and you know again i haven't read your novels but just from the the bits i have read of your short stories and your essays and your poetry is like that's why like speculative fiction is so freaking cool is because it really leans <laughs> into the sort of psychoactive potential of, of art, the imaginative, like you can write about things that might not be literally true, or at least we might not have the eyes and ears to see them. Uh, or perhaps the dominant culture has like filtered out some of these things, whatever we could get into a whole debate, but whatever the case is, speculative fiction turns yeah. on channels of our imagination and, and as a result actually like physiologically alters us and that's really fucking cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes agree 100 percent, 100 percent. um that is one of the absolute coolest things about it um i, I always like to compare it to and i don't know if this is um accurate but you know sometimes when you hear um actors talking about how they get into character uh, i always find that an interesting thing because it's 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 an act of becoming right it's an act of mm -hmm. it's the same kind of transformation that you have to go through in order for you to embody this other person and i feel like it's the same thing when you're creating um, a piece of of art you know um whether it's a a story a poem a song you know mm. i feel like you you have to, for a certain time, embody something other, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. a different character, a different state of being, a different way of thinking. Um, and that's such an interesting thing to, for me. You know, I find that so much fun to do, but also I think it's so important to be able to do that because I, I feel like that's where compassion grows. You know, that ability to step inside someone else's experience and go, oh, okay, I would never in real life perhaps do this um, or make these choices or, you know, live my life in this way. But 
I completely understand this person, you know, um, in this mm. moment, as I'm mm. going through the experience with them, I get it and I can feel for them as a fellow human being. And you carry that with you, you know, when you come out of it, that stays with you um, as you go back into the real world, so to speak. And it changes things. It absolutely changes the way that you see things. It changes the way that you see other people. You know, I don't think that, I don't think it's possible for stories to make you a worse person. <laughs> um, I know that there are, <laughs> there are some people that think that it's possible, but I really don't. I, I just don't see how. Um, I think being exposed to all the different ways of being um, can only make you richer mm. and um I think that's yeah, that, that feels like an important distinction, though, what you just said there, which is like there's sort of mm -hmm. stories, plural, like a and really plur, like a pluralistic, a mm -hmm. willingness to and, and an energy around in the same way that 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 piece of your essay I read earlier. Like, I feel like this connects to that. You're this this mm -hmm. increasing understanding that in a way, each of us is a story walking or perhaps like a. Right like a web of stories walking and some of them might be very coherent yeah. and uh and legible the narrative is clear and others are confusing and messy and that's true for each one of mm -hmm. us and then we meet each other and these stories start kind of trying to talk and like i the one place where i feel a little friction with what you said around uh stories can't harm us or or they always make us better is is simply just that we get we are stuck inside a story that we believe to be the story and mm. and that that the story whatever that that is for us can actively in some cases the story is actively written in a way to say no other story has validity here and that there's like a tension in that right so the story is so powerful it moves us through our life and some of us are most of us don't even know that that that's happening. We just, again, we're back to that, like, okay, I'm awake now and I'm hungry and now I'm on my computer and now I'm mad at this person for what they said on the TV. And, you know, we're just, but like right. underneath all of that is this, this, these narratives, these stories about who we are mm -hmm. and how, how life is supposed to work. So like what I hear you really saying is that, that stories well told and a reader mm -hmm. who's receptive or a listener who's receptive to those stories well told has the capacity to kind of like, and I'm like, my, my hand gesture is like a pulling of threads here, like a, has the capacity to kind of peel back some of the assumptions that exist inside a single story and start to see that there's some larger collection of stories that we all can weave together or that we're all a part of. Yes. I mean, I, I think, yes, yes, definitely that. Um, I think also, you know, it, the more stories, the better. You know, for instance, I get worried if someone says they've only ever read one book. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they have no intention of reading another book. That to me is is, is not <laughs> that's a cause for concern because I think the more diverse um, stories we are exposed to, the more helpful it is um, because, it, like you said, yeah, we can so easily get, stuck in one story or one type of story you know and feel like okay well this is it this is all that there is 
and um yeah it's it's so important to be able to see how complex and rich the world is and um be exposed to different ways of being um and i think there's a way that we engage with stories that's that can sometimes be um i don't want to say a problem but that can be challenging you know in the sense that the writer might have the best of intentions you know write a story to put out a specific message maybe say it's a message of peace and unity or something like that. and yet someone will read that story and see not that you know and that's another thing that i think we you kind of have to navigate um the fact that people have perceptions of their own and world views of their own and that we tend to bring those into the stories that we read that we consume mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I've, i that was something i didn't know at first when i mm. um mm. when i was you know writing um in my youth because a lot of the people that were reading my work were you know my friends my family people whose ways of thinking i understood and then once my work started getting um published and other people would read it i would have the most interesting conversations with them where they would say oh you know it was really interesting to me that your story was about xyz and i would think wait a minute that's actually the complete opposite of what my story was about but that's what they got from it because you know they have their own way of thinking they have their own background and that influenced um their perception of the story yeah yeah there's a certain that's a really um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that like there to me I I can't I don't quite know how to put it into words but there seems to me to be a connection between Yeah, even this isn't totally true, but this is at least there's something partially feels partially true about this to me that like to the extent that you as a writer to go back to your earlier insights kind of get out of the way of the story and let it come through is to the extent mm-hmm. to which the story will be received like will be received by more people because it is the most authentic expression it can be right like there's something about that kind of the art of of the the sort of as true as the story can be it's it is what it can be its potential is realized mm-hmm. you know whatever was in the seed of the idea has now fully blossomed and mm-hmm. what i hear you saying like and so like the odds go up that that then it becomes this kind of story that can have this psychoactive effect on others that can alter them and open them and and help them see that that their story has beauty in it but it's not the whole story right like there's that version but there's also right. a version where someone might come along and and go oh that's a beautiful flower and pluck it out of the soil and pin <laughs> it to their shirt and kind of say like this just doesn't this just show show me how great I am you know this is how beautiful this this is and you know so it just there's no controlling it you know the like you've planted Mm -hmm. the seed it's sprouted through you it's growing and now it will be out and every walking universe out there that is every person out there who encounters it Mm -hmm. will integrate it or not into their universe uh and however way they do so I like to kind of like 
as if I were a betting person, like odds are that a really authentic story, that's the more of those, the better in our world. Yeah. And there's no guarantee. There's something, you know, like I'm thinking of this, uh, the Italy's new far right prime minister, Giorgia Maloney, who has taken the the Lord of the Rings sort of stories by J.R.R. Tolkien, which are imperfect for sure, but but are nevertheless ultimately in my reading a story about unification across differences, ultimately at its best. That's what's, right. what's present in these in these in this kind of classic narrative. But you know, like there's also a reading that's like about racial purity and about like kind of some things that are a right. bit terrifying to me and a bit troubling to me. And and she's kind of claimed like these stories, the Lord of the Rings is about is our story of like, you know, of, of being the one true good in the face of the overwhelming mm-hmm. evil that's out in the world. And it's just like, ah, oh boy, I really yeah. feel like if J.R. Tolkien were here, he would be like, what, 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 wait, that's not what I wanted. That's my sense anyway. <laughs> right. So I like want to just like, I think it feels like there's a both end here. There's just a risk where there's an uncontrollable variable mm-hmm. as we put our stories out into the world to share with each other. Yes. Yes, I think that's that's absolutely true. They be, mm. they cease to be belong to you, I guess. Once once they go out into the world, they become the property of the world in a way. Yeah, yeah, and then then get get used or not, internalized or not, um, mm. absorbed or not. Like there's this just wonderful, wonderful, terrifying, inspiring kind of unfolding that just keeps happening as we participate in it yes yes i would love to this we're we're coming close to our time boundary and oh gosh yeah that was quick it was quick and really lovely and i feel like if it's not too much of an imposition your poem the ladder to me in some way evokes in a poetic way much of what we've been exploring and i wonder if you'd be willing to read that as kind of a closing piece to our conversation absolutely hang on let me just okay the ladder it leans against the mountainside steep and tall and treacherous we make our way the weak, the strong, the righteous, and the lecherous. The peak is hidden by the clouds, salvation, hope for all. For some, the summit is out of reach. We trip, we're pushed, we fall. But still, we climb the ladder, place our faith in the ladder. It never moves through rain and snow, its eons old and weathered. We slip upon its aged rungs, our ropes too loosely tethered. The climb, our fate, our penitence, our prayers twist towards the sky. We find our feet, we lose our way, we change, we fade, we die. But still we climb the ladder, place our faith in the ladder. The steps that lead into the light, littered with plans and promises, with miracles and golden things that lock away recall. Perhaps one day we will remember the truth we have forgotten, that each of us was born with wings and need not climb at all. Till then, we'll take the ladder. Always, always the ladder. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Andy. This was amazing. Mm. This was a really great conversation. Yeah, I feel the same. Appreciating you and your devotion to your art. Um, appreciating Coco for introducing us. And uh, yeah, I guess I would just offer like for anyone who's listening, if they want to find your work or if there's a particular piece that you really want, like if to hold up and celebrate that you would love for more people to read what share, share that with us now so we can make sure that folks hearing this can find more should they be called to it. Okay, well, I mean, apart from my poetry, which is uh, on my website, um, I have a short story called Godmother, which I think um, people might resonate with. Um, it's a story about connection um, in an age of disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kind of a pandemic story, a science fiction story about what the world would look like if we were not um, allowed to, to be human, really, to be mm-hmm. to interact with each other in the way that Um, we're used to interacting with each other and what we would do to fill those um, voids, essentially. Um, And it is available to read for free from Apex Magazine. So I think, yeah, people might enjoy that. Nice. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Lovely. Well, we'll make sure to share your website in the show notes. I hope uh, I haven't read Godmother yet. I'll go read it. And, uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you you are working on finishing two novels. So I wish you a lot yes. of uh, <laughs> a lot of commitment, a lot of those moments of stepping aside to let whatever needs to come through come through, and uh, I'll be eager to read them when they're ready. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks, Cheryl, and and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others. Consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.